0: We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you.
1: If your memories are serving you well, you may recognise this reading this morning. So it's from Proverbs 1, verses 1 to 9. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behaviour, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, And let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to your head and a chain to adorn your neck. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Let's just have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we consider your word together, teach us more about ourselves and teach us more about you so that we can be better disciples of you. Because we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we're going to spend the next four weeks looking at this uh, book of Proverbs. We don't do that that often. One dictionary that I read describes a proverb as a short, pithy saying that expresses a traditionally held truth or piece of advice based on common sense or experience. I'll say that once more. It's a short, pithy saying that expresses a traditionally held truth or piece of advice based on common sense or experience. And what we need to observe as we look at this book together is that some of our traditionally held truths find their origin in this book before us. This isn't a book of of, of deep doctrine, telling us about uh, conversion, sanctification, justification, predestination, condemnation, and all the other shuns that might concern us. Rather, it's a book of wise sayings. And if we sit down and read this book from beginning to end, uh, we'll probably get a sort of literary indigestion, as the verses are seemingly unconnected. But an analysis of the book as a whole shows us that we get a lot of advice on, on various subjects as to how to know the right thing to say how to make good decisions how to use your money sensibly how to have a good marriage how to be a good parent how to be a good neighbor and it also gives us advice on what will happen to the hothead the scoffer the proud the sluggard the drunkard the greedy the seductress the mischief maker and the many other dubious characters that we might come across from day to day so it's pretty wide-ranging but a very practical book. In fact, the first chapter of Proverbs, those verses that we've just read out, set out what we need to get from the book. Let's just have one more look at these verses. You won't need to read them to me this time, it's all right. It's for attaining wisdom and discipline, understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, for doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, and then let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. Well, that sums up pretty well well everything, really, doesn't it? What this book is seeking to achieve. Well, who wrote the book of Proverbs? Uh, The first one starts, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And this often leads people to Think of Solomon as the author, but in fact, there were quite a few sources who contributed to this book, and they're probably written over quite a period. But Solomon is the man who gets most of the credit for the book. And of course, we associate Solomon with wisdom. I mean, do you remember that story of Solomon? God appears to Solomon in a dream and says to him, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Uh, And Solomon replies, I don't know how to carry out my duties. So please give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong. And God was so pleased with that, that he'd asked for that rather than riches and wealth, that he gave him that wise and discerning heart and then threw in the riches and and wealth as well. And then the Bible tells us a story demonstrating Solomon's wisdom. Two women appear before Solomon fighting over a baby. One woman has rolled over on her baby in the night and killed it. And then she's actually she's stolen the, the other woman's baby to be her own. But of course she denies the accusation. Well, how was Solomon to know which was the true mother? They didn't have DNA tests in those days. Well, Solomon tells his soldiers to bring him a sword and tells them to, to cut the baby in half and give half to each woman. And the fake, the fake mother says, OK, cut him in two, that's fair. And the real mother says, no, don't do that. Give her the baby. And that's how Solomon figured it out. A true mother would never agree to a baby being cut into. Solomon had been given that special wisdom which he had for for much of his life. And the name of Solomon, as I said, is always associated with wisdom. Well, during our series on Proverbs, we're going to be looking at four particular themes that run through the book. Let's have a look at those on the screen. Uh, The fear of the Lord, first of all. Next week we're going to be doing how to be a good friend. Then the third week, God the director. And then finally speaking well. So this week then we're considering the fear of the Lord. Well first of all, what does that mean? Uh, We do need to answer this because it appears nearly 150 times in the Bible. And it's not only an Old Testament expression that might apply just to the Jews. It's mentioned several times in the New Testament, pointing to the relevance to Christians. So what is it? Well, first of all, what it isn't. It isn't being afraid of God in the state, a sense of, of living in a state of constant anxiety about him. As Christians, we know that God loves us and we're not supposed to be afraid in that respect John in his first epistle says there is no fear in love but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Nevertheless the the need for fear of the Lord as I said is mentioned several times in the New Testament and it's not used in the sense of needing to be afraid But in a different sense, it's used in the sense of having, as as John said earlier, a deep-seated reverence for and sense of awe of God. It's that recognition that God is somebody far greater than us. He's the creator of the world and he can intervene at any point in time in, in the world or indeed in my life. Indeed, he'll be the judge of the world, as Jesus pointed out to the crowd in in Luke 12. He says, I tell you, my friends, don't be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after killing of the body, has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. If you're a believer, don't be afraid, because God's got a good future planned for believers But remember, God holds the key to our salvation, and that's more important than any power held by any worldly leader. And that alone should fill you with awe. And fear of the Lord is a concept that the New Testament church in its infancy certainly understood. Luke records in the book of Acts, Then the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. And it was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. They'd seen God do amazing things through his Spirit. It was incredible as far as they were concerned, and it left them with that sense of reverence and awe. The same thing enabled Paul, writing to the Philippians, to say, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Peter, writing in his first epistle, said, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. In reverent fear. Not not terrified fear, it's reverent fear. So we need to see the importance of the fear of the Lord in a good sense but we need to stop for a moment and recognise that in society today there's a distinct lack of fear of the Lord. Sadly, maybe sometimes a shortage of fear of the Lord in the church too. All too often there's much emphasis on the goodness of God and the love of God. And rightly so, because his goodness and love are qualities that we're drawn to. But in the process, all too often we may have lost that sense of awe and reverence that we ought to be experiencing he is our creator God his son has sacrificed his life on agonising death on a cross so that we could have eternal life with him there's a lot to be in awe about I wonder how many of us came to church this morning with a lot buzzing around in our minds and forgot that we're here to worship an awesome God. Well, what does the book of Proverbs have to say about the fear of the Lord? I just want to touch briefly on two things today. The first one we find in verse seven, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Or as it says in chapter nine, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I'm sure that when we read the story of Solomon, we'd all agree that wisdom should be a very valuable thing to have and that it's good to ask for it. The trouble is, though, all too often we only seek God's wisdom when we've tried everything else first. You know, we've got a problem to solve, so we try to get together our accumulated knowledge on the subject, or maybe we look for a self-help book or go onto the internet. Or it could be we ask those friends who we think might be able to help us. And it's only when all that fails that we turn to God and ask him for help. I mean, let me ask you another question. How many things have you been worrying about in the last week where you haven't asked God for his wisdom? But the writer of these Proverbs tells us it's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. Before we can start to have the the wisdom that we need, we need to have that reverence that reminds us that we're in direct communication with our Creator. That requires us to separate ourselves from everything else we're doing and focus on the enormity of God. All too often we throw up a rather fluffy prayer, don't we, which briefly interprets as help. And we think we've done our bit, but we must separate ourselves and concentrate on God alone. Now, I know what many of you are thinking, because I've been there many times myself. You're thinking, I don't have time to get away from the hustle and bustle and concentrate entirely on God. I've got too much to do. Why don't you preachers realize that? Well, Martin Luther, one of the early pioneers of the Reformation, had exactly that problem. And he said, I've got so much to do today that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Now, I don't suggest you try to emulate Martin Luther. He was a rather special man. But it does show where his priority lay. Getting God's wisdom was an essential part of his life. It came first. The rest of the day was so much more fruitful because he did that. You know, when I was at school taking some rather important exams, the curate at the church I was at at the time wrote to me uh, just beforehand, wishing me the best, which was very kind of him. And he wrote in the letter, he said, When I was taking exams, I was given two verses I found particularly helpful. And it's interesting that they they both came from the book of Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Well, all went well until I got to my Latin paper. Latin was considered to be my worst subject and there were serious fears that I wouldn't pass that one. And when I looked at the paper, there was absolutely nothing to change that view. <laughs> uh, I, I had not got a clue what to do. But I remembered that verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And I focused on the enormity of God then and there and told him, "Look, I just cannot do this without your help. Now, I know it's a dead language, but I can tell you, God knows an awful lot about Latin. (laughs) And um, it it was actually one of the best results I got in the end. So so acknowledge him, because fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So that's the first thing we read about fear of the Lord. The second thing I want us to think about, we read in chapter 8, verse 13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. Now, I'm quite sure if we sat down and discussed it, we'd all agree we hate evil. Evil is a horrible thing. It creates destruction wherever it it exists. It's incompatible with, with God. It's the very opposite of what God is. And yet, all too often, we compromise with evil. Do you remember that story of Joshua in the Promised Land? God told Joshua that the Israelites had to take over the Promised Land. The Canaanites were to be moved. But they allowed some Canaanites to stay. Now I'm not suggesting for one moment that the Canaanites equate with sin. Although some of their practices were undoubtedly very sinful. But the story does tell us something about human nature. We've got this tendency to compromise rather than face up to what we need to do. The Israelites disobeyed God when they allowed some tribes to stay. They put the Canaanites to forced labour. Oh, we can make good money using them as slaves. That surely is okay. After all, they'd be kept under control. But it wasn't okay. The Canaanites refused to be slaves. And like the Israelites, all too often people say, look, I know what I'm doing isn't altogether right, but I can handle it. But the truth is, we can't handle it. Maybe those in business start with the best of intentions to run their business in Christ, on Christian principles, but they keep a few worldly tactics in the back room, just in case. Or maybe a young Christian commits to Christ in the best possible way, but they want to be popular with their friends, but the friends don't all have the same priority. I think we understand, don't we? It's so easy to reach the point where we know in our heads that sin is wrong, but we no longer feel it to be our burden. Essentially, we've, we've blotted God out. We've lost that sense of the enormity and the awesomeness of God. And we've got to get that back in our lives. We, we need to spend time confessing our sin where that's necessary. But also in contemplating the greatness of God Give ourselves time to focus on God, letting who He is really soak in. And if we have that right sense of who God is, then, as the writer of these proverbs says, we will truly hate evil and not let it have any control in our lives. So, there are a couple of things for us to address today. First, we need to ask God for His wisdom in every situation. The big ones, the little ones, and the medium-sized ones. And then we need to make sure that we've got that right sense of awe and reverence that recognises who God is. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Amen.